in Ukraine it's like a hell. <laughs> we don't know what to do. Do prove that you are with us. Do prove you will not let us go. Overflowing hospitals stretched to their limits. Morgues reaching capacity. Scenes straight out of 2020 elsewhere is Hong Kong's reality today. I wonder whether we could start together today with some questions. Questions I sense have come recently out of our shared human experience. What exactly is going on in the world right now? How do we make sense of all of this uncertainty and fear that we have? How are we able to find a grounded sense of our humanity when everything around us feels like it's spinning out of control? Are we simply people at the mercy of our circumstances and situations, constantly shaped by the shifting environment around us? Or is there some point of reference, some fixed point in this world, that enables us to find stability in uncertain times? How do we as humans find hope in seasons of great turmoil? And is that hope true, lasting, and real? I think these questions are really important for us, particularly within the reality that we're all facing right now. And perhaps over the last couple of years, you've asked yourselves your version of those questions. Well, today I want to offer some answers, and they're answers that perhaps you would never expect. I want to suggest today that there is an inherent relationship between suffering and love, and that it's actually within our most profound moments of suffering that we come into our deepest encounters of love. That it is in this suffering love where we can actually find our true hope. And to help with that, I want to show you something. This watch here was owned by my late father. It's a Seiko chronograph that my mother gave to him as a gift. The watch itself is not particularly valuable or, or special in and of itself, but of course for me it holds infinite value. My father passed away on the 23rd of March 2019 after a rather aggressive battle with cancer. In, in fact, from diagnosis to death, he passed away in just two weeks. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the loss of somebody that you deeply love and is close to you, but um, for me, uh, it's hard to describe how I felt in the weeks and months after his passing. Obviously, there was the deep grief and the mourning, but there was this pain in me, this, this darkness that kind of came over me, and it was difficult for me to navigate life at that point, if I'm honest with you. But there were other emotions as well. My father and I always had enjoyed a great relationship together, but in the weeks after his passing, I felt this stinging sense of shame in me that I had not quite been the son that I had wanted to be to him, particularly in the last couple of years of his life. I realized that I had allowed my drive for success, uh, my, my selfish ambitions to overshadow some of the really important things in life, like deepening relationships with those that you love. And because his passing happened so quickly, there were conversations with my father that were left unsaid. There were things that I realized I should have said to him that I couldn't, that I didn't have time. And perhaps there were some apologies I should have made that I wasn't able to. And so after he passed, I, I was dealing with, of course, the suffering that normally is associated with grief and mourning with somebody who passes that you love. 
but I was also suffering with this internal sense of shame, this internal anger, almost a, almost a self-hatred of myself for not having been that son I had wanted to be. For me, it was like this perfect storm of, of suffering. About a week after my father passed, my mum and I were up in the bedroom and we're going through some of his old stuff. And I decided to look in the little bedroom uh, drawer just right there by the side of his bed. And it was there that I found the watch. And my, my father had not worn this watch for years, but as I picked it up, I could tell that it was special to him because of where he kept it. And as I looked at the watch, my heart almost stopped beating because I noticed something that shocked me. The, the watch, is actually frozen in time. It's stuck on a specific time. And that time is a quarter to five in the morning. A quarter to five in the morning is the exact time that my father actually passed away. And his watch that he hadn't worn for years marks that exact time. Is that a coincidence? Well, I, I like to think of it more like a sign. And I think it's a sign that can be interpreted in one of two ways. I think the time that's frozen on this watch could be a, a sign of the ending of the life that he had led, of the incredible life that he had had, the, the final moment of that life. But I think there's another way that you could see it. I think this time could mark not just the end of my father's life, but I think it could also mark the starting point of a new journey, the starting point of something else in his life that was beyond the grave, if you will. So a quarter to five in the morning, does it point backwards to something that has been finished? Or does it point now forwards to something about to begin? Think about that for a second, because I think your answer to that question will actually say a lot about who you are as a human being. And it'll also say a lot about how you're going to face the suffering that you're gonna come across in your life. You see, it's a natural human tendency in us to search for stability and control in times of turmoil and hardship. In the weeks after my father's passing, I was desperate to find a sense of groundedness, a, a, a sense of finding an anchor point when my whole world seemed to be spinning out of control. And so I had questions. I, I had lots of questions, questions about myself, questions about life, questions about death and what happens after death. And I, I was relentless in my pursuit to try to find answers to those questions because I believed in answering those questions, I would find some certainty. And perhaps as you're watching this, you've got questions too with everything that's happening in the world right now. And I, I just wanna say those questions are important. Those questions are needed. And those, those questions are important to us because we, we wanna find the answers to them to find that place of certainty in our lives. We think as humans, and actually I would say it this way, that it's actually a real human need for us to find certainty in uncertain times. We think that certainty creates stability. Because of this, we humans actually really struggle with the unknown. We actually find the unknown really uncomfortable. We find things like mystery and doubt and, and the things that we can't get answers for, we really struggle with. We have some skepticism towards. They, they kind of create fear in us. 
As, as humans, we press in for certainty so much that when we don't have certainty, we actually find ourselves slipping even more. We become distrustful of things that we can't find the answers to. And I think this is primarily why that so many of us have really struggled in the last couple of years with this whole virus. We've been asking, when will it end? When will things go back to normal? When will we get over this? And as we relentlessly pursue that stability, we find ourselves in a difficult spot. Because here's the reality. You can't control everything. In fact, we live in an uncontrollable world. I mean, think about it. You know, your boss, your spouse, <laughs> You know, your, your finances at times, uh, the local government around us, policies that happen. So much in life is completely out of our control. And this is actually the great irony. You see, the more that we press for certainty and control in times that are actually uncontrollable, the more we're going to end up feeling a complete despair and doubt. I mean, that's the thing we need to kind of get our heads around. That although chaos causes us to press in for certainty, because certainty is actually elusive, the more we pursue it, the more we feel completely out of our depths. And the question therefore is this, is there another way to live? History would perhaps suggest that there is. Some 2,000 years ago, a small group of Jewish followers who were living under Roman occupation were holding many of the same emotions that you and I are feeling right now. They, they believed that all of their hope, all of their certainty was in one person, one individual that they believed would actually be able to liberate them from the Roman Empire and actually be able to bring them into a time of new flourishing and life. This person was a rabbi, a teacher, and he had taught them a radical new way of thinking about what it is to be human in the world. He had taught them this, that, that right at the beginning of all things, at the beginning of all creation, humanity had essentially been created good. But humanity had rebelled against the divine. And because of that, a great divide had been created between the human and the divine. And that great divide was the place where all of our uncertainties are found, the place of our brokenness, the place of our struggle. And what this person taught was something quite, quite out there. He said, humanity is never going to be able to fix that great divide in and of themselves. We're never going to be able to find the certainty we need to fix that uncertainty. The only way it's going to get fixed is if God decides himself to step into human history, that God himself would be the healer of that great divide, the one that would be able to bridge humanity and God once again. And these Jewish followers, they believe that this person, this rabbi, his name was Jesus, that this Jesus would be this divine healer, that he would be the one that could step into that great divide and bring human and God back together again. But then something unexpected happened. This Jesus was arrested by the authorities. He was put on trial for something he hadn't done. And just two weeks later, they watch him be executed on a Roman cross, one of the most painful executions that there was. And, and these Jewish followers who had put all of their certainty, all of their trust in this one person, thinking that he was the great divine healer, actually, he just turned out to be a good guy with some great ideas. And suddenly they're facing the reality that the end of the story had come. I want you to think about that for a second, that the end of the story had taken place. 
you can read this story, by the way, in the Bible. And uh, it's actually a fascinating read. I want to encourage you to check it out at some point. But when you open the pages of the Bible at this story, what you'll encounter is these Jewish followers holding all of those same emotions that we're holding here today. In the death of their best friend, they were wrestling with pain, with grief, with mourning, with, with a suffering that they hadn't expected. And they were wrestling with doubt and hopelessness. Very much the way that I felt after the passing of my father, where I was both mourning his passing because I loved him and also dealing with that brokenness inside of me. So this was these Jewish followers mourning after the one that they had loved so much and yet now fully aware of the brokenness that was still within them. And that brokenness created a sense of hopelessness. And I want you to think about that for a second, hopelessness. Because I, I, I would imagine that some of us watching this right now, we're in a place of hopelessness. We're in a place of feeling like our hope has completely run out. If that's how you're feeling, well, I want to share something quite interesting with you. I read this book the other week by the Czech philosopher and statesman, Vaclav Havel, and he wrote this beautiful thing. He said this. He said, isn't it the moments of most profound doubt that actually birth new certainties? Perhaps hopelessness is the very soil that nurtures human hope. Think about that for a sec. That, that our hopelessness is actually the fertile soil that creates new hope within us. And if that's the case, then that's very good news for how we're all feeling in the world right now. I mean, that's very good news for us who are struggling with, with all of the uncertainties that are here in our lives in this moment. Could it be that in our world today, in all of the uncertainty we're facing, in all of the turmoil that is around us, that the soil is most fertile right now for the birthing of new hope, the birthing even of a new faith. Those Jewish followers did indeed discover a fresh faith. Their suffering turned into a new hope. Jesus did the unexpected and the impossible. Just three days after his execution, he came back to life. And his resurrection was proof to those disciples that God had indeed done what he said he would do, that he would step into human history and heal the divide between the human and himself. And God did this through a way that they never would have expected, through suffering and death. I want you just to think about that for a moment. And I, I know that's a bit of a radical idea, but it's an idea that sits at the very center of the Christian faith that God saves humanity through his own suffering and death. But in the resurrection, he brings new life and hope. And he does this because he so loves the world. He so loves everything that he has created, even in the midst of its brokenness. And God desires out of that love to step into that brokenness in order to redeem it with new hope. And so the Christian love is actually a suffering love. It's a love that is most profoundly seen in that execution and most profoundly witnessed in that resurrection. And so when we think about suffering in our lives, we come to understand a few new things. That the Christian faith is the only religion in all of the world that declares that God doesn't stand back distance from suffering, but God has decided to step into our suffering in order to ultimately liberate and redeem us from it. And because of this, we know a few things. Suffering is not wasted. Suffering is not devalued and it's not 
pointless. And God doesn't ignore our suffering. And rather than ignoring it, he meets us in it. We realize that God has suffered way more than we would ever suffer. And he's done it so he would reveal to us the beauty of love. Christian love, suffering love, the only love that can truly change the world. So our suffering is never something that we should escape. In fact, in the Christian thought, suffering is something to be embraced. It is something to be redeemed. It is a journey in which we come to meet some of the most profound moments of our connections with God. I know that in my own journey of my passing of my father and in that striving that I had for certainty and all that I was feeling, it was actually the realization of being able to connect with a God who himself has suffered and can understand my suffering that actually brought me into a new contact with his love. And this is the profound beauty of what the Christian faith actually offers us. It doesn't offer us certainty that's based on some kind of trying to overcome all the things that we're wrestling with and get the answers to all of our questions. The beauty of the Christian faith is that it meets us in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of those questions that go unanswered, in the midst even of our uncertainty. We can still find God. And that is very good news indeed. It's good news because it teaches us this, that our suffering is an invitation. And it's an invitation not to overcome our uncertainty with some temporary stability through control, but to overcome our suffering, to overcome our uncertainty with actually an eternal security that comes through faith. That's what the Christian faith offers. That's the radical thought that shapes love in this world. And it's not a love that's, that's brought about through desire, but a love that's brought about by divine power. And it's a love truly that changes everything. And when we sit in that love, we come to understand that our suffering is something that truly can be redeemed. And that brings me right back to my father's Seiko. I realized in the wake of my father's passing that the reason why I had suffered so much was because I had loved so much. I, I suffered because I had loved, and it was this encounter with suffering love that enabled me to reconnect myself with God himself. And in that understanding that his suffering love was for me, that the suffering I was going through, he had already gone through himself. He understood it and he could meet me within it. And as he did so, I truly found myself becoming transformed. Those Jewish followers were also transformed when they came into a, a radical encounter with the suffering love of Christ in Jesus' death and resurrection. From fearful and overwhelmed to confident and assured, they would go on to found a grassroots community radical movement of love that is still going on to this day. It's a movement that has overcome empires, a movement that has changed societies and literally rewritten history. And it's a movement that's available for you. You see, the Christian faith is a living hope. It's a gritty and real living hope in the here and now. The Christian faith does not offer a magical formula. It does not promise an escape from the here and the present. And that's very good news for us because right now we're still in this pandemic. There's still stuff going on around the world geopolitically. There's things that are changing and people are still suffering, especially the poor in this time. 
And the Christian faith offers us a hope that is not based in us escaping all of that. It offers us a hope based in a God who comes and meets us within it. It's a hope that is not found in some angel or some ghost or even cliched answers. It's a hope that's found in a person, in Jesus Christ. The one who has been able to step in and be that healing savior. To connect again humanity with God and bring them back into relationship together. A a man who's been able to take on our suffering, our brokenness, our own broken humanity on his own shoulders. So that he could then redeem us into relationship again with God. That's the living hope of Christianity. And it's a living hope that is here regardless of circumstance and situation. No matter how hopeless... No matter how broken, no matter how downtrodden you might feel right now, that hope is real and present for you. So, a quarter to five in the morning. Does it mark something that's been in the past or does it mark something that's going to come in the future? Well, for me, in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus and in the light of God's suffering love, it marks both. Yes, it is a symbol to me of the end of my father's human life, a life that was lived to the fullest and and filled with love. But it also marks the start of his new life, his new journey, a journey that's found in in the power of the resurrection of God and that gives him now a new eternal presence. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus has really transformed and changed my father. The death and resurrection of Jesus has transformed me as I walk in that hope on a daily basis. And that death and resurrection of Jesus can also transform you. I want to encourage you if you're watching this and if this is speaking to you, that that hope is present for you right in this moment. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you feel about yourself or how you feel about your future, the suffering love of God is present and here in this moment. A death and resurrection just for you. A suffering love, a living hope. May you find it, discover it, and may the joy of it truly set you free. Your certainty is not found in having all the answers, nor is it found in escaping all the suffering. Your complete transformation is found in knowing a love that's present even in the midst of it all. I pray you discover that love and that love would set you free.